0: Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast, in each episode we'll discuss a different safeguarding topic with a range of expert speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hi, and thank you for joining us today on the Safeguarding Podcast Season 2. My name is Melanie. I'm the Head of Marketing and Communications at the Safeguarding Company. Uh, I'm currently your guest host, and today's podcast is going to be all about affluent neglect. We're joined today by Vicky Chafe, and I will hand you over to Vicky so she can introduce herself.
1: Thank you very much, Mel. As Mel said, I'm Vicky Chafe. I am the Head of Community Relations here at the Safeguarding Company. Uh, Before my current role, I was a member of the SLT for primary schools. I work with charities and local authorities with their safeguarding policies and practices. But why I'm here to talk to you today is because I'm also a governor at a state boarding school in my area and a member of their local advisory council for the school itself.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Vicky. So I just want to start out by asking,
1: what is affluent neglect? It's a tricky one, is affluent neglect. It refers to the neglect experienced by children in wealthy families. This can be really difficult to spot as the kind of neglect experienced by children and young people in these circumstances is often emotional but not exclusively and I just want to make that really clear is that sometimes certain people think that it is just emotional neglect that is comes under the umbrella of affluent neglect, but that's not necessarily true. It can also be different Mm -hmm. types of abuse. So I just want to to make that clear. There are a few risks that children from all walks of life face. Being in an affluent family is often perceived to protect these children from some of those dangers. But children from wealthier, more stable families aren't as sheltered from neglect as it is often assumed. When we look at affluent neglect we have to consider what's called the toxic trio. Now in all walks of safeguarding life you'll hear about the toxic trio quite a lot. Um, Toxic trio is what is referred to for parents who suffer from alcohol and substance abuse, domestic violence and parental mental illness and when all of those three are combined they call it it's referred to as the toxic trio. This is really often referred to and associated with poorer families or in areas where there is social deprivation but in actual fact these are very common in more wealthy families too especially when it comes to the substance and alcohol abuse. In wealthier families it can be the case that parents work really long hours and they leave their children in the care of paid nannies or au pairs or from my experience boarding schools. This can create a disconnect emotionally and leave children feeling lonely with their emotional needs unfulfilled by their parents. Affluent parents may also put on a high amount of pressure on their children to succeed at school which can sometimes lead to psychological and emotional problems for the children. We will get onto that a bit more more later but the academic side of affluent neglect is really important and something that we will discuss a bit more. Thank you Vicky that's really
0: interesting and I think um, actually it's something that I've probably experienced when uh, it, when I went to school um, or seen families going through something similar but I didn't think there was ever a name for it um, so it's really interesting that there's actually a term coined now for it. Um, maybe you can go through some of the signs and symptoms of affluent, affluent neglect and tell us what to look out for. Absolutely.
1: It is very subtle, as it can be the case for, for other different types of, of abuse. And there is a huge list of signs and symptoms that you would expect to see in children who suffer from neglect or emotional abuse. And it's exactly the same as affluent neglect children who are victims of affluent neglect and I do have to to make this really clear that these children are victims um just because they come from from wealthy families you know we have to be really clear here that these children are victims and this is a type of abuse sure. um so it's it's really really important and I think that sometimes that that can get missed as well um right. so the the children who are victims of affluent neglect are often glossed over because most of their basic needs are being met or exceeded in mm-hmm. certain, certain terms. You know, they might be given really extravagant gifts at Christmas or at, at um, religious holidays or birthdays or things like this and actually this is a substitute for what they really need um, and sometimes people don't notice that because they are given such extravagant gifts um, but one of the things that isn't met extensive extensively is emotional and that emotional connect. But as we said before, this isn't exclusively. Some people might say that it is the main issue of affluent neglect, and I I totally understand that. But you do have to think that actually there are different types of it as well. There can be physical harm, either from the parent or from the child injuring themselves just due to being alone at home. So if a child is a victim of affluent neglect, it could be that their parents aren't at home with them, so they're left on their own, especially the older children, and they can hurt themselves, on, on not on purpose, but accidentally, but they're not having that parental responsibility there to look out for them and make sure that those things don't happen so although that emotional connection and the emotional need that isn't being met is hugely important we we can't rule out everything else as well because you know it's it's all part of it all all underneath that umbrella some of the signs and symptoms that you could be looking out for is very similar as we said before to the different types of of abuse that you might encounter in other children um child behavior is a huge change and a, a concern for children who are victims of affluent neglect and certainly the way that they react to situations their sexual activity it could be that actually they're they're wanting that emotional support in such a way that maybe they're being far more sexually active and promiscuous at a more younger age than you would expect. Um, it could be that they are, are um suffering themselves from substance abuse or alcohol for multitude of reasons. It could be that they are lonely. It could be that they want that negative attention from their family just because it is attention so it could be that and um, it could also be down to the pressures that they're feeling and the pressures that are on them from their families to achieve academically mm-hmm. so that is a huge thing that you can look out for for children who are, are victims of affluent neglect Anxiety disorders, due to the high pressure on the children, the expectations to exceed. We're paying a lot of money for you to go to this school. You, we expect you to, to get the, the grades that we're putting the money in for. That's the kind of thing that you might see. So there's an awful lot of pressure there. Again, as a, as a, a result of this, children might have eating disorders. Again, due to pressure, could be pressure on themselves as well to make sure that they are the best or they're seen yeah. to be the best so that can be another huge one and I, I hate this to say this but the the biggest one is self-harm um, we see a huge spike of concerns with children who are self-harming over the holidays or exam periods we have to really keep an eye on these children because some of them aren't going home so they're not just not going home for the weekends they're maybe not going home for the half terms they're not going home for the terms they're coming back early during the summer holidays when they're they're meant to be at home they're not going home for any of the big festivals and unfortunately we do see a huge spike in self harm to these children mm-hmm. as you can imagine that you know they they want to be with their families and they want to to have that love and connection and also all of the children that they've bonded with if it's and at the moment I'm talking specifically about boarding schools but obviously they make friends with other children that are at the boarding school they have their own family there and if they're going back to their families it's almost like they're being um being being disowned all over again so it's it's twofold for that one as well
0: yeah double whammy Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine as well by the very nature of neglect. I mean, these things start and they can probably quickly snowball if they're not being picked up by those people that should be, you know, in their immediate family uh, members. So, yeah, quite tough.
1: Absolutely. And it's as we said before, it's, it's really kind of glossed over because these children are seen to have had all of their needs met because they come to school and they're very well presented. And it's, it's like a huge mask mm-hmm. that these children and their families are putting, putting on to the children so that they are glossed over. And Vicky, is it only
0: in independent and boarding schools that these uh, concerns around affluent neglect
1: happen uh, or are they seen in other settings? And do you know what, that that's a, a, really, a really challenging issue is that it is one of those types of neglect that is only perceived to be happening in independent schools and boarding schools but absolutely not. There are wealthy families all, all over that don't send their children to independent schools um that don't send their children to boarding schools for one reason or another um but they are working incredibly long hours they will have nannies they will have au pairs and these children are being left at home alone as well so they they have to fend for themselves and certainly the older children as well you know we see this an awful an awful lot is that they they're older so that they can look after themselves. And this is seen Mm. a huge amount when it comes into secondary schools. And the same with all abuse is there is no pigeonhole where we will or won't find types of abuse. And we as safeguarders can't be narrow minded in that respect. And I don't think that I've ever met a safeguarder that is. You know, we we're all really clear on the fact that abuse can happen anywhere. And and I'm at the moment we're just talking about schools but obviously this can happen anywhere if you're at a sporting club you know there could be additional pressure there because they're being paid for it's almost seen as um as uh, care for their children because they're not at home and there's lots of additional pressures there so you're going to see a lot of cases of affluent neglect too um but one of the things that we always say and it, you know for any type of abuse is we cannot assume it doesn't happen here and i i hate to say it i've heard it so many times from small rural schools to really large inner city schools that you know where there's just this assumption that oh things like that just don't happen here um and and that's really dangerous (laughs) For for all different types of abuse yeah, for radicalisation. Exactly. You know, it's it's just it's it's frightening and it's really dangerous for our children for us to assume that. So what we have to do is we have to assume that we will come across all different types of abuse at all times in all sectors. And that's and that's what we need to be doing. Great,
0: thank you. So just following on from that, then what what can schools or other organisations do
1: to just be more proactive about this? It is really difficult. And again, it's the same as any any type of abuse. Really, training mm-hmm. is is the way forward for, for anything to do with safeguarding. You have to make sure that all staff and I mean all staff, caretakers, lunchtime organisers, um after school club staff, anybody who is involved with children, especially if it's out of the classroom or out of the school time, um, it's essential that they're trained to, to spot these kind of trends and spot these kind of concerns and make sure that that they are really hyper alert to any form of abuse, let alone just, just affluent neglect, but that they know what affluent neglect is because, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, is it's really glossed over and it's really seen as that, oh, it's not going to happen here, we don't need to worry about it kind of thing. So making sure that your staff, all of your staff, all of your volunteers Anybody, all of your coaches are fully trained to understand what affluent neglect is, what the signs and symptoms are. And then the next thing, and you have heard me talk about this a gazillion times <laughs> and it never changes, is it's your safeguarding culture. Yeah, It's that whole you need to make sure that your staff, your coaches, your volunteers know that no matter how small they think that concern is, they need to share it. Sure. because it's could be what my head used to record. Uh, she always used to tell us that it was pennies in the jar. And when I became a DSL, I realized how important it was to have those pennies in a jar because individually it's just a penny. Um, but when you put them collectively together with all those other pennies that have come in, mm-hmm. actually that's a really heavy jar and it's really a really powerful point at this point. At that stage that we can then move forward it's not just one or two and if we don't have those pennies then there's no way that we can we can um submit the jar to, yeah. to social services and say look this is this is what we're dealing with so it's really really important that your safeguarding culture is that that it is a frictionless process there is a really easy way for Anybody who works in your organisation or volunteers or anything has a really easy way to share those concerns, so that there's no um, that there's there's no chance of somebody to say, oh well, I, I did see it this morning, but then I got called somewhere else, and I was going to do it on my lunch, and I couldn't do it at my lunch, so I'm giving it to you now after school that's not good enough. That's not quick enough. We need to make sure that we're triaging these as quickly as we possibly can. And you need to make sure that that safeguarding culture is there, that you're making this frictionless process. There's no excuses or anything that why these concerns aren't coming to you straight away. So that's another really, really important thing and help you to be more proactive in this. And ultimately, make sure that The children are as safe as they possibly can be because you're actioning things really quickly. Another way of being proactive is making sure that you're vigilant with all the concerns that come in, that you're looking for those patterns in the concerns, but by not looking at those concerns exclusively. What's really important when it comes to affluent neglect is that you triangulate those safeguarding concerns that come in with the behavior log hmm, okay. so what is going on in their behavior see if you can work out what's going on what concern has been raised what's happened in their behavior hmm. and then the third one is the attendance as well okay has has this happened because they weren't here yesterday or it has this happened because they they were here and they weren't supposed to be Um, it's, It's using all that data and information that you have and triangulating it and making sure that you're putting all of those jigsaw pieces together. And what that will enable you to do is then preempt anything that could be happening. So say, for example, we've got Joe. Joe's at boarding school and we know that Joe is supposed to be going home for half term and his parents have been given approved um, authorization to take him out a day early because they're they're going to go and see their family in in Rome or something like that. Um, But Joe turns up that day. Then you know that actually that shouldn't have happened, and you need to be making sure that what's happening with his behavior and also if there's been any safeguarding concerns that have come in on that point, it's helping you preempt anything that could be happening with these children and and in a way, hopefully being able to put things in place to make sure these things don't happen, yeah. I am a huge, huge advocate of teaching the children to safeguard themselves. Teach the children what affluent neglect is and encourage them to come to you with concerns that they have. Don't forget, they're the ones that speak to the children outside of school. They're the ones that go to their houses. Have they never seen their parents? You know, have they been to their house a gazillion times and never once seen their parents? That's the information that you need to have. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know, and just as you said before, you know, as, as you were growing up, yeah. you will have seen cases of affluent neglect, but you didn't even know that it was a thing. What you could do with that information or how you could stop it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and arming the children with this information means that actually you've got another stream of, of eyes looking out for these children as well. So arm your children to be safeguarders as well and then they can they can support you in supporting their friends absolutely and I suppose there's a lot to be said for people's own biases or uh, perceptions
0: about other families without necessarily knowing the the details and it's easy to maybe think oh well they've got loads of money they live in a great big house you know there's no problems there well actually there could be you know lots of underlying problems that um that need to be
1: addressed absolutely and and the the children the those children um don't have those preconceptions either, yep. so they will tell you the truth yeah and 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 they will be having those conversations that they certainly wouldn't be having with a teacher yeah. on maybe what their behavior is like outside of school you know are they behaving in a way that's inappropriate or you know things that you wouldn't be expecting so so relying on those children to give you that information it's just it's vital, yeah put in thank you so much uh, Vicky that's been really really interesting and yeah thank you ever so much you're very welcome thank you very much for asking me here today and for anybody who wants to do any further reading then we'll put in the show notes as well that there was um, a report done and it was in backgrounds in the child protection system by Professor Claudia Bernard Gold- Goldsmiths of the University of London it's a really really interesting read Um so I'll, I'll um, send that over and we can put those in the show notes as well perfect um, and that is it for today all that's left to
0: say is to thank you all for listening to the safeguarding podcast for resources and more information about uh, our safeguarding solutions please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.